Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Alona Thompson with Palate Exposure. It's my favorite time, podcast time. And I'm here with Christopher Longoria. I've gotten to know him a bit. I had a cocktail class that he kindly and generously shared with me, and it was a blast. I cannot remember having this much fun, particularly during COVID. We'll talk all about that. You guys need details on that for sure. So you guys from the Bay Area may have heard of him. He is a bar manager at Kefiko. It's quite a popular spot. Impossible to get a seat there because of his prowess. The cocktail program is extraordinary, very cerebral and kind of reduced edited cocktails, the likes of which I don't believe I've come across in any other instance. So it's a very special place. When things open up, you need to get your butt over there and try and get a table and then give me some hot tips how to do it. Uh, so we're here today to get to know him, which I'm super excited about. I know much, a little bit, not much, not enough anyway for my taste about his professional life, but also want to get to know him as a fellow human because so far all my interactions with him have left me utterly impressed. He's a great person. So I'm excited for you guys. So Christopher, you all come from somewhere uh, as uh, a famous exupery once put it, we're all from childhood. So maybe we can talk a little bit about yours and your formative years and kind of the background. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Would love to share that with you. Um, I am from, I was born in Galveston, Texas. Really? Oh my yep. God. Born in Galveston, Texas. But when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I am from uh, shrimp and cumin and salt water and <laughs> pigeons and humidity. Um, that is what I, that is how I remember where I'm from. You know what I mean? Um, it's very associative, right? Yeah. yeah, blue crabs, peeling shrimp, shrimp boats, humidity. Yeah, man, mosquitoes, grandma's house, smells, a lot of smells, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so I was born in Galveston, Texas. Um, uh, yeah, spent all my formative years there. Um, when I was younger, I kind of took had a knack for, uh, my mom helped me learn about um, poetry and writing and listening to songwriters and um you know, we would sit at the kitchen table and listen to, you know, Willie Nelson and Jim Croce and Bob Dylan and, you know, a lot of the songwriting generation. So, um, you know, I picked up on that really quickly and uh, it's kind of just what I've always done my entire life. And um, yeah, it grew into, um, you know, something that I wanted to do basically for the rest of my life. I thought it was either going to be a professional basketball player, which I was not even close to being, and or, uh, you know, some sort of artist. Um, and it ends up that, uh, poetry became a really big element, element in my life. And I, uh, I pursued that, um, the entire time I was in, uh, well, actually I, I pursued it through hip hop, actually, you know what I mean? So I was learning a lot of hip hop, learning a lot of lyrics. I was break dancing, um, you know, graffiti, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't good enough to get a basketball scholarship. Um, and I was trying my hardest and I didn't know what to do. So I spent one year in junior college in, in Galveston and uh, 
then I saw they had a culinary program there at Galveston College. And um, uh, that's when I saw um, people making sauces of types. I mean, I always grew up in the kitchen. In the South, you're always in the kitchen. You're either on the front porch or you're in the kitchen. You know what I mean? And so I was always in the kitchen watching my parents cook and all that type of stuff. But that was the first time I, it looked real, like professional to me, even though it wasn't, not, not, you know, I was just underexposed at the time. But, um, and then I thought I wanted to be a saucier. So, um, so cooking and all that type of stuff was in my, in my mind. Then I got a job at a place called Fisherman's Wharf. And, uh, you know, when it was really slow, they let me pull beers. And uh, I was just like, wow, that's pretty fun. It was like, I always just, cause it was always a packed restaurant. And I just always saw uh, the bar members, the bar team members just look like having the most fun in the whole restaurant while everybody else was like stressing out. These kids were like making drinks and laughing and jumping around. And I was like, I want it. That's, that's, I want that job. Um, so, you know, um, did that anyways, I found a way to get to school. Um, I ended up going to, uh, uh, am I moving too fast as far as the story? There's a lot in between. Oh, no, I think it's it's a great pace. And I'm, the only question I have so far is Fisherman's Wharf in Texas, not in San Francisco, right? It's yeah, yeah, great. yeah. It's, 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 the, it's from the same group that originally um, opened Landry's a long time ago. Like, y'all know, like, Willie G's and Crab, Joe's Crab Shack, all that. Yeah, this was, like, at the very beginning before any of that stuff. And so, uh, yeah. And so, um, anyways, I, I found a way to get to school, and uh, I found a... Uh, uh, liberal arts college in the Midwest called Beloit College. And um, during that time, it's, it's going to be, I can't explain all of this, but I had uh, six friends, seven friends die uh, in a really short period of time. And so I was like, I need to get out of here because if I don't get out of here, something weird is going to happen to me. And I uh, felt that pressure. And so uh, I found a way to get to college. I went to really, um, luckily, I went to a really amazing school, Beloit College. Uh, and because I had gone through so much, I was doing a lot of writing. And then one of my professors picked up on it. And he's like, why don't you put on a little hip hop show uh, at our, you know, our campus stage, lounge, whatever. Yeah. And so I did. And um, the feedback I got from that just really made me feel uh, like I found my voice. You know what I mean? Wow. And, uh, and then I, that, those years in college, all I did was write and study and write. And then my junior year in college, I met my mentor named John Rosenwald, who is an amazing poet, amazing uh, activist. And I mean, I could go on forever about him. Just he's the, he's the real deal. And uh, he gave me a book called Growth of a Poet's Mind by William Wordsworth. And it's a huge book. And I went for it. And um, that opened up my mind in so many ways. And then I knew, like, I was confident that I was basically... A poet by nature and um and because of that uh, it led me to a lot of fun avenues uh in life some some tough some fun uh definitely colorful um yeah and so then i decided i want to go to grad school for poetry and so i did that and um studied with some really amazing uh poets and writers and studied with a lot of the original beats that were here you know um david Meltzer, joanne kiger uh snyder um tom clark you know those are a lot of poets that I studied with and that took that that more so than like writing that was learning um how to read like I, I studied alphabets I studied the history of alphabets I studied etymologies I studied epistemologies I studied uh how um the the human species went from uh 
you know, a, 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 a culture that relies on orality and instead move to literacy. Um, so I studied that. I studied global systems, all this crazy stuff. It was just like, once I hit grad school, that level of knowledge that was presented to me was just like I, out of control. I was like almost drowning in so many intelligent, well-cultured, um, life-experienced people. You know what I mean? And um, just rubbing shoulders with those people, I learned an uh, infinite amount of um, culture and history and so forth. You know what I mean? That's so crazy. then, uh, yeah, yeah, um, it was crazy, man. Uh, we studied, We, <laughs> I studied a lot. I was the definition of a starving artist. I would like, I was living off bagels, like literally, and bagels and Gatorade, I think it was. No, no, Snapple. It was iced tea Snapple. That was it. And I was just like, oh my God, this is gnarly. But at the time I was so, my, I was so activated in my mind uh, and being challenged uh, every day, uh, it was, there was a real payoff to it. You know what I mean? So um, I got signed to a little um, arts collective and hip hop label called Future Primitive Sound. I was finishing grad school here at the same time. And then um, uh, I went to a party that was, uh, a birthday party for this really legendary um, artist named Doze Green. He's a hip hop uh, painter, but he's beyond that at this point. He's like, he's up there on the Dondi White Basquiat level. Um, anyway, so I got invited to his birthday party and as like a young b-boy, I was like, this is, this is the shit, this is where, this is it. And so I uh, got there and, you know, my label mates were there and they were cutting records and, you know, Doze is obviously the man of the hour and, you know, um, I really didn't know where to put myself in the party because I always looked up to a lot of these people. So all these type of cats are OGs to me. And I'm, you know, I'm just like, luckily I got invited. And uh, anyways, I saw the bar, the bar owner, his name was uh, Roman Reichel. I saw him getting destroyed because we just packed the place. You know what I mean? And it was just him and like one other person. And they were just, <laughs> they were drowning. They were in the shits for real. And I didn't, you know, I felt stupid being a wallflower. I was just like, what am I going to do? So I was like, um, I got to, I got up here somehow. And so I just went to the guy and I was like, hey man, do you need any help? Cause you're getting destroyed right now. And he was just like, yeah, dude. So he gave me like bushels of mint. He's like, cause the drink of the hour was um, something called ginger and it was ginger syrup and um, lemon and mint and soju and soda. And it was just, everybody was crushing them. And um, so I was pulling all this mint and I was pulling the beers cause I knew how to pull beers from Fisherman's Wharf. And uh, so I was just, you know, I was break dancing behind the bar, pulling mint and pulling beers. And, uh, you know, when that night ended, uh, he was like, do you want to come back tomorrow? And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I would like to do. And then I started to bar in San Francisco. That's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot in there that I skipped over. Believe me. No, this is great stuff. Here you are like the sponge that absorbed this extraordinary amount of, data and historical context and linguistical stuff and all of a sudden boom that foray into bartending is like where was that even on the horizon in any sense or was it a complete accident um i don't know you know when i was in college i used to pretend like i was a bartender i would turn my bookshelf around and make really disgusting drinks and i would like take like store-bought Mai Tai mix and put it with gin. I didn't even have ice or anything, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was an alternative to a beer and college kids like that stuff. So I was just like, I was just pretending. Um, and so it was pretty funny. 
Um, so I think it was always somewhere in there. Um, I think probably, you know, when I was at Fisherman's Wharf, somehow romanticized and glamorized that role a bit for me. Um, but um, at the same time, I think, I think the skill set and the personality and the um, nature of uh, a genuine uh, bar person, I think, I think it was natural for me to be that, you know what I mean, to be a host. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's starting to kind of make sense to me as to why you're so extraordinarily creative and artistic in the truest sense of the word. I mean, it comes from such a fabulous origin and so much to pull from. I mean, your command of the language in the 3D format, um, I, I worked as a translator many moons ago and that gave me a really good clue how powerful language is. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, you can change something with a comma or a tone or just, you know, yep. substitution of a word. It's, it's amazing stuff that, you know, we don't think about enough. And you're exposed to it so massively so early on as, you know, a young adult in your literally formative years that it had to have had a monumental impact and it had to have brought so much value to what you do today because not only it's artistic and creative and therapeutic in some ways um yeah yes, absolutely. yeah that is so cool yeah so i mean you know um you know i think uh I, I you know i say this often to when i do certain interviews with people when the window is there and i think this is that but um and we could get into this later because i probably would like to but um you know i just think it's really important um given this time how people view romanticize glamorize being behind the bar um i think it's more valuable and more important to live your life and have your experiences um and imbue the bar with who you are versus letting the industry and the culture of the bar um determine who you are you know what i mean um i think that makes the environment uh and the context a lot more uh real and interesting and, and, you know, a lot more easy to, uh, uh, you know, be attracted to, you know, um, and I think that is, I think that's important, you know, I think if all you are is what the bar has given you, then I don't necessarily find that to be an interesting space. You know what I mean? I think it's way cooler when you imbue the bar with your experiences and your interactions. And, uh, you know, I can see just a whole chain reaction occurring just simply from that, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and so we can get more into that later, but I think that's very important. It is definitely important. I just want to highlight it for a moment to you guys, because what you said right now is profound. You're a human being that was deeply connected to yourself. You were perhaps forced into that space because you had to grow up quickly and you had to mature and you saw so much tragedy so early on in life. And I'm truly sorry about that. But what it did for you is that it, it kind of forced you into the space that's very vulnerable, especially things like poetry and creativity, that outlet that you chose, in this case, words, I think had, you know, such a monumental impact on your self-discovery. Some people just don't get to that road until later in life. You were thrust into it early on. Um, and I think it just prepared you so much more and it matured you so much quicker and qualitatively there's so much breadth there and depth um that i just want you guys to understand that you happen to be in a bar and this is your current iteration of yourself professionally not exclusively by the way because you do other things but this is 
what a lot of people know you as, as a bartender extraordinaire that can make this, you know, uh, cocktails that make you think and smile and just really elicit fabulous reactions. Um, but it comes from a place of self-acknowledgement and self-awareness. And that's why I think it's so important what you said. You come as you are into the space and then you work with the space as you. Yes, exactly that. That's, that's great. And we'll definitely get into it more. So just so we keep track chronologically a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's not that it's important, the milestones per se, but I think it's just interesting to learn where your journey took you, like geographically, how you wound up in the Bay Area. Tell us a bit more. Um, well, I wound up in the Bay Area because, uh, well, my sister had been living here probably about, I think it was like 12 years before I got here. I got here and um, I came to visit for Thanksgiving, uh, to visit her for Thanksgiving, like 99. And then, so I would come for like little holidays and I was like, wow, like it's just such a different life than the grind I was used to and the, the pressures I was used to. And um, just the quality of life seems so much more open and cleaner and, you know, um, healthier actually. And um, so my sister was here and then I was, uh, I was still an undergrad in college and uh, my, uh, then my brother moved out here thinking he wanted to do um, tech, right? But obviously he didn't do that, but you know, he was, he was young as well. So that was his way to get out of what we were involved in. And, um, so, well, now my brother was out here and my sister's out here and they're my best friends. Um, and then I, you know, I was doing really well with hip hop at the time and my, and I was doing a lot of spoken word and I was like doing shows at the Green Mill in Chicago and the New York again and all, you know, the Justice League over here, all the, you know, did all the competitions and all the features and all that type of stuff. And it was fun. Uh, and then it caught the eye of my friend, Mark Hurley, who owns, who ran and created the Future Primitive Sound Collective. And that was back in the time when San Francisco was really about its artists. And, you know, we were painters and we were, you know, break dancers and we were DJs and we were musicians and obviously, you know, poetry stuff too. And um, MCs. And uh, anyways, he saw me uh, perform at a, uh, a show with uh, Michael Franti and Saul Williams, I think it was. Um, at the Justice League, and he was just like, whoa, what is going on with this? Uh, he approached me after that, and he was like, hey, man, I want you to be part of our crew, uh, sign you to this label. Um, and um, I was just visiting at the time, and so um, I just had it, and then I got and then I got accepted to, uh, you know, I chose to be part of a graduate program um, to learn from the, from the Beats, and so I had my sister out here, I had my brother out here, I had many creative outlets out here, and all signs said, go. You know what I mean? Uh, and believe me, I, I didn't have no money. I was sleeping on my brother's couch. I was sleeping on friends. It was rough, man. There was times I was, I would go to the donut shop, the 24 hour donut shops. And there's a way that you can hold a book in your head at the same time to make it look like you're reading. But I was like totally sleeping because I was just like, dude, how do I make this happen? You know, cause I literally was a starving artist and then college, you know, undergrad college debt was about to start coming in. You know what I mean? And it was just like, what is the move dude? So um, I made it, I made it, uh, I made it work though. So, you know, all signs said go out here to move to San Francisco, everything, but the finances pretty much. Yeah. And that's an expensive proposition. Yeah. I mean, even people that work sometimes wind up couch surfing because the cost of living is so high now, but it also was back in the nineties. I mean, it's not that much different. It just adjusted to inflation. So for you to kind of be thrust in this environment and having to make it 
that had to have been stressful. Yeah, it was very stressful. Um, yeah, it was extremely stressful. Um, I think I found a place to live uh, on uh, Haight and Broderick was my first place. And it was a room that uh, uh, fit a bed and, a, and, you know, a chair maybe and then my you know and then i had a big old computer that was like a hand-me-down computer from somebody else to do my grad school work and um i made a weird makeshift desk out of uh some kind of weird table i found on the street and you know living that living that bohemian life for real you know um lived off progresso soup at that time that's what it was i remember having like just hella cans of progresso soup in the cabinet and my roommate being like do you is that all you eat i'm like yes that's all i got <laughs> you know what i mean um so, but at the same time, I was still very inspired. I was inspired. I was like learning. I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling low. I wasn't feeling down. It was just, hey man, like learn to have riches when you don't have riches and find out what those are for yourself and then enjoy them. Well, San Francisco is definitely a very stimulating environment for any artist, I think, in any realm. I mean, you have such a diverse, you know, background between music and hip hop and writing and, you know, you're populating so many spaces. Yeah. Um, that I'm sure that you were constantly on and, you know, creating and, you know, in your mind, if nothing else, and then externalizing it in some regard. So, I mean, I, I'm just picturing this young, vibrant person that, you know, is so engaged and experiencing so many colors and sounds and textures and thoughts, and it was just all coming fast and furious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, embodied so many different vibrations you know what I mean I was just like there was some that were like I'd be you know breakdancing at a club and then I'd be reading you know Rilke and then I'd be you know um trying to learn how to make sauces from a friend of mine who was a cook at uh, Aqua at the time you know what I mean and uh you know and then I would cut records to have little DJ that is and then like little things like that just to make a little side money and then wake up early and get tossed a bagel from my friend who was uh, the baker at Tartine on the way to the mission to class and that'd be my lunch breakfast i had to time it right right because you can't eat too early because you're gonna be hungry later in the day so you got you got to time it right you know what i mean you got to hit it like right in the middle so you know you're not super hungry and you're not gonna be hungry way later so little tricks like that is survival you know what i mean um but yeah definitely i mean i would you know you know smoke a fat joint and then do a painting of Rimbaud, and people would be like what is going on you know what i mean so um you know and then at the same time you know i was uh i had just because i I went to grad school in the Midwest, but I also went to an arts program in Chicago that I stayed and I learned a lot there. And um, we studied a lot of jazz. And so jazz was super big. Jazz is super big in the South down where I'm from too. So like, you know, uh, you know, New Orleans style jazz, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, uh, so I was studying a lot of jazz and I was studying a lot of hip hop and I was studying a lot of poetry and I was trying to learn how to cook and I was, bartending wasn't even on my map at the time. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, I think I had my first mojito at Foreign Cinema uh the first year it opened i think or maybe the second year it opened and i was like i didn't i didn't know things could taste good i didn't know alcohol could taste good yeah you know what i mean yeah, yeah. no they make some good mojitos from memory <laughs> they crushed it oh, i killed yeah. it and I, I killed that mojito and my sister looked at me with a face of terror just like what what are you doing i was like it was good she's like yeah you're gonna feel that and i was just like <laughs> no i'm totally fine wait a minute and just got bent you know what i mean so oh, that's yeah awesome. Well, True story. oh, I believe that. Um, it's just fascinating to hear you talk about all the genres um, that you 
kind of cross-pollinated, but there's definitely a commonality there. There's a lot of heart and soul, and there's a lot of raw nature to everything that you just described, but it's dance music. Um, you know, I think, th I think some of that ties, I apologize for interrupting you, but okay. I think something that ties it in, or rather one of the principles that ties those together is improvisation. Yes. You know what I mean? It's all, all about improv. It's like you have to trust yourself on so many levels. You have to trust all the all your extensions creatively, expressively, intuitively, instinctively, intellectually. You got to trust everything in yourself to trust when you see a moment for improvisation, right? And then when you have that moment, you have to feel it and you have to know the right context in which to express it. And then, bam, then it's a, then it's a thing. Then it really happens. You know what I mean? And that is the that's the mindset I'm always trying. I I mean I think I'm always just in that mindset. I mean, it's happening right now a little bit. It'll happen more in a, in a few minutes. I've, I had a long night, but once I started waking up, believe me. You know, this is so, I could just watch you or hear you talk and it's just so energizing. You don't have to be discussing anything in particular or anything profound. You just have an energy about you that I've never experienced with anyone else. Um, Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. That's, it's the truth. And that improvisational piece, I mean, having the courage and the, that connection to yourself, but also, you know, I am pretty timid when it comes to speaking publicly. I force myself to do it, of course, but it's not something that comes naturally. So kind of getting up and showing up in front of an audience in whatever form, whether it's dance or DJing or, you know, reciting poetry or any such thing. It, I think it, it, it's a ton of courage, um, but it's that piece that I was talking about. It's that self-awareness that you know you can really get into that mindset with yourself before you ever can produce anything for somebody else and the fact that it comes so organically to you is absolutely fascinating um you know thank you again that's highly complimentary i'm very grateful for those words um but it really is about the people that taught me like my mom especially um my sister and my brother you know they're 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 just amazing artists they're just they can touch anything and flowers come out of it it's crazy you know what I mean um they're just they're just really 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 awesome people and you know I'm really just uh you know uh, a result of being in a context with really creative people like if you met these people you just you know they'll change your mind about a lot of things that's amazing you know they say show me who your friends are and I'll tell you about you it obviously yeah, you that, yeah. you've, mm -hmm. you've surrounded yourself with people you just you know it's an ecosystem almost that makes sense right yeah well, yeah, I mean, the whole creative nature and trusting it all comes from my mom. She sounds like one special lady. Um, so there you are in San Francisco, surrounded by all this, you know, cultural stimulating environment, you know, probably staying up late, <laughs> doing all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to sleep. I still don't know how to sleep very well. Yeah. I was up last night until four in the morning help, helping a ghostwrite for a comic that I work with and Oh, there's another thing we haven't even covered, um, ghostwriting. So you were at this point thinking your career is going to evolve somewhere in the musical slash, you know, hip hop. Yeah, I was either going to be, you know, a musician, uh, or, you know, a recording artist is the industry term, whatever. But um, it was either that or, <clears throat> or I wanted to be a professor. Um, and I wanted to be a professor. Um, of a very particular poet named William Blake. I'm sure some, a lot of people know that. Um, but I wanted to study at a place called the Ransom Center at the University of Texas. 
Um, and it has the biggest uh, William Blake uh, collection in the world. Um, but he was such an interesting poet. He was just raw. He was like, you know, if Wu-Tang was a poet, it'd be William Blake. You know what I mean? Um, he was like, he, uh, he, he's an anomaly. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, we could go on and on about William Blake. People have tried to understand him for years. I just had happened to have a natural knack of understanding um, a little bit of some things that he would try to do and maybe his sensibilities. And, uh, and that was, that was my guide. So, um, I almost went on to, uh, pursue like a doctorate, but after grad school as as, uh, liberal as it was, and as like cool as it was, you know, I met like Jim Carroll and studied with him and studied Ezra Pound, uh, in the basement of this crazy, uh, professor who had these like six foot tablets and he would color code the different tones of language and all this crazy stuff. Um, and, and that's very liberal as far as like education goes, but I, I still felt uh, trapped in a structure that didn't feel normal to me. And, you know, if you really are listening specifically to the romantic poets, um, they're, they're just, they're trying to live life. They're just raw. They're trying to feel everything, you know, and to be in an academic environment that absolutely extracts the soul of what it is they think they're praising was just too hypocritical for me to sit with. And I chose to stop education after grad school, but um, I still kind of always have the inclination to want to somehow be a professor. I thought it would always be cool to be an adjunct professor um, yeah. to where they, they invite you to teach, you know, a course or something like that. Uh, because I love school, man. I like, I'm one of those weird people that just like love school, but I didn't love school because, you know, I'm fucking in class. I love school because of the social element and the real relationships. Like the most learning I learned when I was in college was going to my mentor's office on a Friday night. Everybody else is, you know, doing their thing. And I would see him. He had a really cool office. It's hard to explain, but you know, it'd be snowing. You'd see him in this office for surrounded by these books and he'd just be reading. And I was like, that is the most gangster shit. Like, what is that? And so like, I would just go knock on his window and he'd be like, what's, what's going on? And I would just badger him and we would study and learn and we would sit there and read poems back to each other. And, um, you know, so for me, uh, you know, it was just, you know, school was a really cool thing. So I love school, you know, I love learning. I love being around um, archaic documents. I love looking at old maps, you know what I mean? All, all that kind of stuff. I used to go to the library, San Francisco Public Library when I had no money. And then I would just like look at the maps, you know what I mean? Um, one of the last books of poetry I was working on was studying how to pick locks. And then I wanted to write a poem for each lock that I learned how to pick. And you would learn how to pick this lock, but it would be in a poem form, you know what I mean? And I thought that was kind of a cool thing. I never finished it, but it was that, and I was working on a book of poems about boxing, or boxers rather. And uh, that was kind of cool. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.